Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Battle on Brace FC podcast where we focus on all things soccer across the United States. My name is Jose Omania, sports writer for the Sports Post, and joining me as always is our co-host Mario Maya from El Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Just getting ready for Thanksgiving. Look at you. What are you having? Uh, right now, turkey and all the fixings. Ah, look at you. In any event, before we get into off-the-field matters in the game of soccer, we're going to start with on-the-field matters. As as MLS just finished its first its wild card round and its first round of its conference playoffs, we have our semifinal rounds already ready set up for this weekend. We have for the Eastern Conference, Orlando City and New England Revolution, who will play on Sunday. On the other side of the Eastern Conference bracket, we have the Columbus Crew, who will take on Nashville. The Western Conference will have Seattle Sounders taking on FC Dallas. And Sporting Kansas City, the last highest seed remaining in the playoffs, will be taking on Minnesota United on Wednesday. Now, one of the biggest surprises and headline shockers of the playoff weekend was yesterday when the Supporter Shield winners, Philadelphia Union, were eliminated out of the playoffs after losing 2 nothing to super, super, super wild card New England Revolution, who was originally a ninth seed, having to go through a wild card round before playing the Union. And they defeated the Supporter Shield winners 2-0 last night. Mario, what were your thoughts on this matchup? And hell, another year where a Supporter Shield winner does not even sniff the MLS Cup. I was shocked, uh, to say the very least. Um, let's go with the following. I did not expect New England to beat the Philadelphia Union just by the way Philadelphia was playing this season. But honestly, it's, it's the masterful job Bruce Arena has done. Uh, he does a lot with a very little, and you're seeing the fruits of it. Yeah, for those who didn't see the match, uh, Bruce set up a game plan that was you know, his game plan most of the time is centered around Carlos Gill, but Carlos Gill really stepped up and provided the spark that the revolution needed. They scored, they scored two goals in four minutes before the 30th minute. First off, a set piece where Gills delivered a cross perfectly to uh, Adam Busca, who heads it past Andre Blake. Then four minutes later, it's Gill again who finds uh, Tejan Buchanan, who's able to dance around a defender and then bury the shot on the far post to get the second goal. Um, From parts of the game that I did watch, I got to say, New England was well-structured defensively. Uh, They limited any kind of attacks that Philly brought over, and I just didn't see much movement like we saw throughout the year from Philadelphia. Uh, That suffocating movement that allows them to move their line up uh, further upfield than most uh, teams. You think of a Bayern Munich in a way, not to compare them to Bayern Munich, but the way they pressure you up back and they suffocate you because they they push their line all the way up and you have to hit them with a quick counter in order to strike. And in this case, New England totally didn't have to deal with that because they were the controls, you know. Carlo Hill played really really well and they deserved the result agreed i think one of the reason one of the uh keys uh, keys to the success for new england yesterday was early on in the game philadelphia had a really good opportunity where brandon aronson danced around a couple defenders slotted the ball the ball the ball pa- uh, back to ja- to jamiro Jim- montero and montero skies it and it kind of was uh, precedent of what was to come because Philadelphia didn't really have many answers to what New England brought and I'll be honest this was a typically Bruce this was a typical Bruce Arena game he had all his line all his lines were all com- uh, lines on the field were completely in or were completely organized they didn't really do anything too crazy they were able to stick to what they knew and stick and stick to the game plan and it, it worked uh, it worked gangbusters for him in the end and uh, again this is uh, one of the advantages of having 
such a veteran head coach in Bruce Arena. Bruce Arena knows what playoff campaigns are about. Hell, he's won numerous MLS Cups. So there is a there is a method a method to the madness that is Bruce Arena during the playoffs. And it it showed. It showed, and that's why New England's going on to play in the next round against Orlando. Yeah, and we'll get to the Orlando matchup in a second. Uh, I just want to bring it back real quick to the Philadelphia Union. This is another supporter show winner that doesn't even get out of that first round. Um, it's somewhat disappointing in a way. But I hope that, you know, Philly fans don't take it as well, this negates our whole year. No. If anything, yes, Aaron, uh, you, you lose your one of your top players um, who will be out uh, sold at the end of the year to Red Bull Leipzig. But at the end of the day, this was a really good campaign from start to finish um, outside of losing – one game matchups. You, same thing happened in MLS is back, and here you are again, another one game matchup. And let's just say they're not good at um, knockout round games, apparently. But other than that, you know, Philadelphia had a really good year, and you could have saw it coming from the preseason, the way they were building up to this year. Um, you, we got. Everyone deserves accolades for the season that Philadelphia had, and it's only a sign of good things to come. From Elsinio to Alejandro Bedoya, the way that midfield moves, they're a scary team. And going forward, you know, they're going to lose a couple of key pieces this offseason, but I think as long as they keep the core intact, that's a deadly team, and they could be good for more than one year I could totally see them building a somewhat of a mini dynasty in a way maybe it takes them to MLS Cup I don't know I feel that they have a type of run that's similar to Toronto everything is somewhat built on youth but then they have these core veterans that are helping out and building the team so and they're building from the academy so I see nothing but positive from Philadelphia even in this loss they should have won I agree with everyone but at the end of the day, this is how you're going to learn. You're going to learn from taking these kind of losses so it doesn't happen again. And But that does not mean that fans should not take for granted what happened this year. Jim Curtin did an excellent job deserving of Coach of the Year. And they just got beat by a better team on the day. And props also, like I said, Brendan Aronson was the name I was looking for. He'll be going to Red Bull uh, Salzburg, excuse me. Um, and it, it's a it's a good it, – he played really well this season. And he, he's caught a lot of attention, and it got him to be sold. So we'll see how the union unfold, but I see good progress in what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. Again, this was a five-year project when they started working on this team a little more under Jim Curtin. And just to see the strides that Philadelphia has made under Jim Curtin in the last four or five years has been amazing. So I think if you're a Philadelphia Union fan, yeah, you're disappointed that it, the season didn't turn out the way you wanted to or the thing, things didn't pan out against New England. But you got to look at the bright side. You got your first major title as a club, which was the Supporter Shield. You were able to dominate the Eastern Conference, something that you didn't think would seem totally possible back in like 2011 or 2012 if you ever followed the Philadelphia Union. And all in all, this team can, like you said, they there, there's no way but up for Philadelphia in the next couple of years. You keep the key, the key uh, core, you build within with the with your youth. You still keep a couple of youthful pieces, even though Aronson's leaving for Red Bull Salzburg at the end of the year. I think Philadelphia will be fine to win an MLS Cup. Maybe we could talk that maybe two or three years down the line, but I think to be a protagonist in this league, absolutely. So that was Philadelphia Union being axed out of the MLS playoffs thanks to New England, who will then travel to Orlando this weekend to face Orlando, who defeated New York City FC on PKs. 1-1 was the score in regulation, 6-5 in PKs, had the most craziest of finishes. 
to break it down, it was the fifth kick. Orlando thought that they had made the game-winning save when Pedro Galais, uh, Galice appeared to have made the game-winning PK. However, it was called back because he, his foot was not on the line. He jumped too early. He was shown a yellow card. That is the original before 2021-2022 rules that FIFA allowed over the summer to pass. That does not start in MLS until the 2021 season. MLS is still operating in the 2019-2020 season. So they have the old rules that state if your foot was not on the line, you have to get a yellow card. Mr. Pedro was already on a yellow. He got kicked out. And then began the cluster F of calamity that ensued. (laughs) That's the best way of explaining it because he gets kicked out. Orlando thought first that they had won. Then the coaches being brought back out because he had already run to the locker room, I guess, to change clothes and head out to party. They brought him back out. The backup goalkeeper starts warming up. Everybody thought the backup was supposed to be brought in. Wait, elementary school rules. This is basic soccer 101. PKs only with the players on the field when the game was over. You can't just pull only if it is an injury do you put in the backup goalkeeper. Otherwise, he cannot go in. Everybody forgot the rules for a quick second. Everybody remembered the rules. Sounds like the VR referee went into someone's ear and said, hey, here are the rules. An on-field player had to then step up, and it would be Rodrigo Cachel. He would come in. And then on the set, on the seventh, on the sixth kick attempt, he made a quick save to and during the sudden death rounds, and then Orlando City celebrated. Oh wait, we have to score our penalty kick in order <laughs> to go through. <laughs> yes, everybody forgot how math works, and everybody. Everybody relaxed, realized they had to go in, and Benji Michelle goes in, scores the game winner in the seventh round. That was very complicated to explain. <laughs> Barrio, you were watching it partially live with as well. <laughs> what were your thoughts on everything that went down? First off, my, my the main question that went through my head uh, throughout this entire sequence of this penalty kick round, what did I just watch? <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I really couldn't help it. You couldn't help it because this was MLS on steroids in a way. But, you know, given the flack that Alan Chapman and his officiating crew got for the whole Pedro Gallese ejection, he made the right call. The only reason why people lost their tidbits is I want to assume this has never happened in a penalty kick shootout. I have never seen a goalkeeper be reprimanded for stepping out of his line with a yellow card. And then subsequently a second yellow that turned into a red. It it was interesting to say the least. It was, yeah, this was a total, this was a total cluster show. Um, there, there's no better way to explain it, but personally, whoever, why that people that watched it live and Twitter were just having a field day. I just want to know where was Oscar Pereja running to with such gusto after the guy SSA save? That, that's my question. Cause I never seen a man run that fast into the locker room. He must've still been like me thinking that paradise Island exists in downtown Disney, forgetting that it's been renamed Disney Springs and paradise Island expired around 1999. But any event, I mean, I, I don't know where he was going. That's not even the part that bothers me. Forget that. What bothers me is we all as a collective unit forgot, Oh, the backup goalkeeper cannot come in. That was the, Dumbest thing I ever saw. I saw that. I couldn't, I couldn't help but just roll my eyes. As, as, as one of those guys that was told, hey, we're going to sub you in because we just need you to take a PK. And then the, and the coach did not manage his time correctly. Thus, two PK takers were on the bench. 
before a penalty kick shot. That's what kind of negligence you sh- you expect in high school. How did everyone forget that the backup goalkeeper cannot come in is what baffles me. And good and look, the fact that their defender came in and said, "Hey, I can play goalkeeper." He made a save. His foot was on the line, so at least he knows the rules too. Right. Uh, I I I think the explanation to that it's 2020. Remember, we were the same two doofuses that we're ta- discussing the reasons why Russell Knauss wasn't el- wasn't on the team sheet to be eligible to play one of these games this season. So I don't know what was going on, but I mean just- that's why I got look. If I'm gonna, I'm not trying to defend Chapman here. He did like he went look. He administered the rule as it is. Right. You're right that other referees probably would be lenient. They go, hey, it's the playoffs. I'm not going to do that to you. It's the fifth kick. I I get it. I get why other referees wouldn't have done that. They just would have said, we're going to retake it and call it a day. But the only other referee I could think of that would have done this would have been Mark Geiger. But that's a whole different kettle of fish. And so what ended up happening following this game is that, and we know that, and look, Orlando made it, at least Orlando made it. (laughs) They won. Nani has to figure out how to kick PKs again because going into the next round with New England, that's going to be a tough matchup. He's going to have to actually make a PK if it comes down to it. Can't miss it like he did here. But Al Chapman now cannot referee none of the five referees that officiated that match will be available for the rest of the playoffs there be that's their punishment according to pro referees the organization that uh administers the referees for major league soccer i think that's a little too harsh they followed the rules as indicated yes timeliness that's the that's that's up to the referee's discretion we leave certain rules to let the man, the, the the referee to take the rules based on what he sees. Maybe we don't notice. He's already warned uh, Pedro Gallese earlier. We probably didn't see it. We don't know. Only he knows. But I think suspending him for the rest of the playoffs is a bit... I may be alone here, but I just thought it was pretty ridiculous. I think it's a bit much. Yeah, I get it. Uh, main main reason I could think of why MLS suspended them, there are a couple of reasons actually. First off, the outrage that was online for rejecting Pedro Gallese during a penalty kick shootout. Yeah, I mean that's terrible and everything. But Alan Chapman was a, was acting according to the rules, so he's playing everything by the book. I think the other main reason that the, the other reason why they they suspended the officiating crew. It's a league thing. You know, for them, For uh, in MLS's eyes, you kind of made them look bad. Uh, because people were talking about this. And they weren't talking about the play on the field. They were just talking about the craziness. So I think more for an optics, uh, optics uh, kind of perspective is the reason why they suspended them. But I think that's also pretty dumb uh, in hindsight because he was doing his job. So we're just going to punish a referee for doing his job? (laughs) That seems kind of ridiculous and kind of senseless to me. Agreed. Uh, I agree a thousand percent. But moving on to the other side of the Eastern Conference bracket, Toronto laid an absolute egg against expansion side Nashville. Nashville pulls off the upset in extra time with a one-goal victory with a second-half goal by Daniel Rios. We can talk all we want about Nashville. We'll get more time to talk about Nashville when they play Columbus. But let's just take a second or two and answer this question real quickly. They have to blow it up in Toronto, right? Like, there's just no way. They have to blow it up. Joe, we need a striker. Come down to D.C., man. I know you want to. Come down. Come come down I-95, man. You You know you want to live this D.C. life. I don't think blow it up all necessarily, but kind of make like a minor re- hit a minor restart button, trade away some pieces, and then see what you could work with and possibly bring in more pieces. I think, yeah, you kind of re- have to push the restart button a little in Toronto. 
Yeah, they have tired legs. You have Josie Altidore, and it's 31, 32 years old. Michael Bradley, 32, 33 years old. Uh, and you have a lot of the same pieces that won the MLS Cup. You haven't refurbished any new pieces. So, look, I just think that last night was they got stale. Like, I just don't know what happened. They didn't look good at all. Even though they had they had they outshot Nashville 24 to 3. And Nashville's the one that scores in the 108th minute. That that tells you something. And look, Josie, he's had some health issues. I just think it's time. I think it's time that he look for somewhere. I know he's got more more time in his contract with Toronto, but I do think at this point, it I think for all parties, it's just time to move on. Like Toronto showed that they could. Look at the lineup. You have 30-something Nick DeLeon, 30-something Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley's in his 30s. That's the core of your offense. And then you have names that have been there for a while. You have Jonathan Osorio, who's been there for a while. This was probably Pozuelo's worst game. And don't forget the, the person in the back is Omar Gonzalez. He's prone to have a game where it's just not going to look good. So it's just, I think there's just too many of the same pieces from the past. Refurbish it. You got a a striker in Akinola just sitting on the bench. They listed him as a midfielder for last night's game. Not, no, no. No, He is a striker. And I understand that some players were unavailable because of health reasons. But it's to me, it's time. It's time to not rebuild, but reload. Yeah, I think I think that's what it comes down to, and and just Toronto was off, and it was an off night for Toronto, and it was the worst time to have an off night. And so, yeah, you got to reload. I think I think you got the tired legs. This has been a team that's been to the three of the last five MLS Cups. So, yeah, it's time to think about rejuvenating in certain positions. Uh, the answer to Josie, Al- to Josie Altador's replacements right there in Akinola. Maybe find someone a little more younger to somewhat replace Bradley. Or you, could t- or you could have Michael Bradley take under his wing and show him the ropes. And I think defensively, yeah, you got you to gotta spruce it up a little. Because Omar Gonzalez is a good defender. It's just that he is prone to the mistakes. And... And that can cost you. Same with Brandon Morrow, who's been there forever as well. Yeah, and shout out to expansion side Nashville, winning their in their first season, winning this playoff game. They will travel to Columbus to take on the crew who defeated the New York Rebels 3-2 on Saturday. Hey, the crew looked really good. They looked really, really good. Nabby was in charge of the field. Zardes with that nice header goal that it took you a minute to realize that it floated inside the net. It was very nice and well done. And Columbus, look, they came into this season as a threat to be in the top of the Eastern Conference. They're there now. They're a tough team to beat. And they're defensively well done. Yes, the Ripple scored two goals, but one of those goals was a garbage goal late into the game. They're t- they're they're a sneaky team that can get all go all the way and possibly win MLS Cup. Yeah, they are. They've got the weapons. Uh, I think uh, the signing of Lucas Salarayan this season has been an absolute, uh, a- absolute as with game busters. It's been it's worked out perfectly. Uh, also, it helps that Caleb Porter is the head coach of this team. He pretty much knows how to get the best out of uh, out of your players, and they could they could end up winning MLS, MLS Cup. Yeah, we shall see. Those two will play this weekend um, in the the bracket. Mario, who do you see coming out of this bracket? Uh, between Orlando versus New England and Columbus and Nashville. I'm going to just be honest. I like home teams. And I just, look, you could say I just don't like Bruce Arena. 
I just don't like New England. <laughs> their style of play isn't convincing to me. Uh, this was probably their this in the DC United Rain game was probably their best two performances of the season. I just I personally want to see Orlando go to the next round. I feel they they feel snake bitten for what happened in, during MLS's back. They felt like they should have won it, and so. I think Orlando's perfectly motivated, and they'll have a home crowd in Orlando to watch part of this game. So I think Orlando's perfectly capable of winning this match, and heck, I'm going to go with the hot hand, go with the crew. They're the last top remaining seed in the bracket, and they've played really, really well. Darlington Abbey, since being traded from Portland, then Atlanta to Columbus, is he's he's proven that he deserves those accolades that he was getting a couple years ago to joining the national team, the way he plays and distributes as well as organizes the midfield, as well as come play back defensively. He has been an all around great player this season for the crew and he deserves some accolades. And I do see Columbus crew and Orlando getting out of this bracket. Yeah, I think I think coming out of the East, I'm going to pick Columbus, and I'm going to go against you a little. I'm going to go with New England. Uh, Columbus, I think they're just a more complete team, and I think they'll pretty much have not much of an issue beating Nashville. While as with New England, again, it comes to the factor of they're on a roll. They're on a roll. Uh uh, Bruce Arena, again, is a veteran in these kinds of campaigns. Even though Orlando has a really good team, I just don't see it. I, I think New England has been a little more consistent so far in the playoffs, and I think they'll get it done. So for me, I'm going to go with Columbus, and I'm going to go with New England for the Eastern Conference Final. Heading out west, we have Seattle, who proved the biggest upset of the night when they took down LAFC 3-1. Uh, to one. Last night, uh, it was the Nicolas Dodero show featuring Raul Ruiz and to top it all off, Jordan Morris to get the three goals to knock out LAFC. Carlos Vela, Mr. PK, and several players, over seven to eight players either out for injury or COVID reasons. And it did enough damage before the game to then help Seattle neutralize LAFC. They will... Seattle will now, instead of taking on its uh, Northwestern, instead of taking on their favorite rivals in Portland, they will instead be taking on a young FC Dallas side who pulled off an upset back on the weekend when they beat the Timbers in penalty kicks. Jorge Villafania had a chance to tie um, in the PK round, but missed. He was the one that scored the go-ahead goal in the 82nd minute for the Timbers, but it proved to be nullified uh, when Ricardo Pepe in the 91st minute tied the game to send it to extra time. What do you see out of this matchup, Mario, between the Sounders and FC Dallas? I like the youth that Dallas brings, but, man, that three-headed monster, Rui Diaz, Lodero, and Jordan Morris, they're, they're very hard and tough to defeat, especially when they're they're on attacking they're on a roll yeah i i just i mean as much as i like fc dallas's youth i i gotta put my money with the defending mls comp champion seattle sounders again they have the experience of doing it and when it comes down to it that three-headed monster of lodero ruidias and jordan morris can prove to be absolutely deadly and they proved it last night against lafc uh, granted, it's a diminished LAFC due to to the co- to their situation with injuries and COVID. But Seattle was dominant. Uh, they proved to be a dominant team. It's been their calling card throughout the throughout this run with Brian Schmetzer, and there there's the reason why they've made it to the last three MLS to three of the last four MLS Cups. And so, yeah, my money's gonna have to be on Seattle. Though FC Dallas shows a lot of good things as well, uh, I want to I want to state they that Fafa Pico has been really well has adjusted really well to playing at FC Dallas, and Franco Hara could prove to be a danger, and Ricardo Pepe coming off the bench he could be someone as uh, something as a, of an X factor. But 
if I'm gonna go down, go with it. I'm gonna go with Seattle here. Totally can see that as well. Um, in the other side of the Western Conference, Minnesota United saves us from an embarrassment as they get a brace from Kevin Molino to win three nothing over Colorado Rapids. Rapids was only in there because they played six less matches and won two extra games because luck, and they decided to go with points per game in the Western Conference. The less we speak about the Rapids, the better. They did not do well against a Minnesota team that did excellent uh, to knock them out. They will face a Sporting Kansas City team that went through hell and back against San Jose Earthquakes when it looked like Sporting was going to get the win. Who knew that Chris Wondolowski had one more left in the bag, knocking in a wonderful goal deep into second half stoppage time to send the goal to make it a 3-3 draw to send it to PKs. But Tim Milia once again shows why he's one of the best goalkeepers when it comes to PK shootouts, saving three straight penalty kicks to send Sporting into the semifinals. Get Sporting and Minnesota, Mario, what did you like and who do you see coming out of that side of the bracket? Uh, what I like from the Minnesota game is they absolutely dominated your favorite team, the Colorado Rapids. So, <laughs> so I think they play well offensively. I mean, they have a little hiccups here and there defensively, and that's something that Sporting KC can uh, can exploit. But I think from the Sporting KC San Jose game, Sporting Kansas City showed why this team is a playoff team under Peter Vermees. They will find a way to win. They don't care how you how they do it. They're just going to find a way to do it. And, yeah, who knew Chris Wondolowski had one more goal in him to send this thing to overtime? And I think the th- sad part about that penalty kick shootout is Chris Wondolowski didn't even step up to take a penalty kick or didn't even allow him the chance to. And that's credit to Tim Melia just being a really good goalkeeper. Yeah, he's excellent in the PKs. He's now averaged more saves in his in his career, more saves during penalty kicks than goals allowed, which is a bonker stat to think about. A lot of times a penalty kick is a gimme for the striker, but the fact that Tim Milia is now averaging higher than a 50% save rate is just a, a mind-boggling statistic. I'm going to have to pick Sporting because Alan Polillo did not play, but he will be ready for the semifinal. Uh, Guy has been outstanding for Sporting this entire season. And, heck, Sporting looked good without him. Imagine (laughs) they look good without him getting goals, playing real strong defensively, but you add that other striker, that's just another well weapon that they can have and use. Yeah, Kyrie Shelton's good. Yeah, they have a Roger Spindola who can uh, and Roger Spinoza who can give you a couple of good minutes in attack. And look, Busio, I had not seen much of him in terms of like why he's one of the better homegrown talents, but when he got his goal, when he converted the back heel pass that was delivered to him to get the to get the lead uh late in the match he showed me that he can help command some parts of the midfield and the attack. So Sporting has a lot of attack, and they have to put it together now when going against Minnesota because Kevin, I mean, I mean Minnesota is really good, and they, like I said, Kevin Molino scored three goals there, uh, scored two goals there, and they're going to come extra motivated, even though they have to travel to make history. Minnesota has done this before in the lower divisions where they're seen as the underdog and then come out winning championships. I expect them to come out with the same kind of confidence in the uh, MLS playoffs. Uh, Yeah, but I'm also going to pick Sporting Kansas City just because Sporting Kansas City all time has been better than Minnesota when playing at Sporting, at Sporting Park. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think about Alan Pulido there for a second, but yeah. <laughs> He, he's been playing gangbusters for Sporting KC. And this was one of the few fir- one of the first games I've seen Gianluca, Gianluca Bus- Busio play. That kid's a monster. 
and I, I could see why the hype around him. And yeah, he's going to be somewhat of an X factor in this game. Uh, I just see Sporting Kansas City totally dominating in the in this game, and I think they'll end. I think they'll end up getting the win. I think they they've been dominant against Minnesota United at home, and I don't see that changing. And also, you got to go down to it. Peter Vermees has been a veteran of these campaigns, so he knows what it takes to win an MLS Cup, and now is how to win what it takes to win in the playoffs. Exactly. We will be covering the MLS playoffs throughout its entirety as we go on, um, as they go on throughout the rest of these two weeks. Um, until then, uh, just stay in touch with us, and we'll give you all the details you need to know. Moving on to what has slowly become the biggest news in MLS outside the playing field, and that would be sexual harassment allegations on former New York City FC star Davi Villa, former medical staff intern Skyler Bilado, spoke out to journalist Paulo Maurer and The Athletic about several incidents where Villa performed questionable actions towards her. She first revealed these allegations back in Twitter in the summer. It mostly includes allegations of inappropriate touching and comments that were witnessed and corroborated by several New York City FC players, according to the story. Her supervisors, which also saw the actions, did little to help her, according to Belial. Before we get into New York City FC's response and the weird DC United connection in all of this, Mario, what are your thoughts on the story in general and what is being alleged? Uh, so I remember the tweets that Badillo put put out in uh back in um back in, over the summer, and that was like these are really serious allegations. But now that more details have come out to life, it's it's really really bad. It's a really disgusting act, actually. Like you for the for the two trainers that just saw this going on, I think it's uh I, I think it's just bad. It's just really scummy that you just let this, uh, you just nonchalantly let it go as, oh, like, like boys would be, bo- will be boys kind of an attitude. But this is serious and it should be taken with all the, this, these allegations should be taken with all the seriousness and gravitas that this implies. Yeah, um, just to give some context on the story. So Badillo explained the hierarchy. She was, uh, had two supervisors who were both part of the medical staff who were ahead of her and you know, they would direct the internship program where she would you know be a part of several of the practices and in games and help with performing physical therapy to the players and then davivia obviously being a player during her time as an intern would receive treatment from her and there would be several inappropriate comments. There would be suggestions, highly suggestive comments towards, you know, you want to come live in my home, become my new kid's nanny. Um, you shouldn't be alone in streets at night. You should call me. He constantly telling her, telling her he loves her. And the thing was, you know, at first was I, when I was reading it, I was like, maybe there's a mistranslation issue. She quickly, Miss Skyler, just quickly debunked that because she's Puerto Rican herself. She knows Spanish and she knows inflection. She knows translation. And clearly she knew what he meant. There's a photo in the story that's alleging, you know, where you could clearly see her face is. She feels uncomfortable of the situation where she's sitting next to Davivia and moments before he had put her hand, his hand on her leg and this photo has a has a heart circled around them as if to say, oh, look at the cute couple. But in reality, that was a joke, something that, that they were joking about. Her internship coordinators were joking about her, chugging about her about it. And to me, that's as someone who's been in management, that's disgusting. It's kind of like something you don't want. You want to always, whenever someone is, feeling uncomfortable they're not feeling well about their surroundings they, they you want to make them feel comfortable as much as possible because you want to get the best out of them especially someone who's an intern trying to learn the ropes and become what you become the david be a factor of it all it's what we've heard time and time again when it comes to big dean players getting away with certain actions because they are famous 
you hear it all the time. Right now, we have a situation in Las Vegas with rape allegations on Cristiano Ronaldo's part, you know, and how that's been going along. It's just, it's sad because, as the piece mentioned, and the writer who who wrote the piece, Paul Maurer, he's publicly admitted before this story even landed in his lap that David Villa is one of his favorite players. And David Villa, from all accounts before this, was one of the best league spokesmen. He was one of those DPs that would always come out, play hard, but be a welcoming PR person for the league and be a, a good face for the league. Stayed late, did autographs, talked to fans, talked to players, gave advice to the young stars and young players coming in. But when you read this kind of stuff and it being corroborated by players, that's the other thing that's crazy. Players saw it and didn't say anything. Supervisors saw it and laughed and joked about it. That's and then New York City FC, speaking now that we're here, New York City FC did not even respond to the piece. Instead, they stuck to their original comment they gave to ESPN earlier this month, which said, quote, we did an investigation into misconduct uh, claims at the club and found that, quote, a small number of players and staff did not act too accordant with the club's standards in their interactions with this intern and other staff members, unquote. They didn't name Via by name. They did not name any of these players by name. So I don't know what to believe in that, but, you know, I'm kind of upset with how New York City FC is reacting in general, the whole thing. Yeah, they they did not do a good job in, in reacting on this, not even defending Miss Skyler at all. Or, like, the complaints that she had towards HR weren't taken seriously as, as things that were stated in this piece. So I think that's probably one of the more infuriating parts. Um, but, yeah, that, that I can't totally imagine. And, unfortunately, this isn't something that's brand new, not in, in the workplace in general. This is something that unfortunately happens all the time, this form of harassment. And so for for that, for a club like with the stature of NYCFC uh, that has somewhat of a worldwide presence and having someone like David Villa, who is arguably one of the best strikers that Spain's ever produced, also one of the one of the uh, one of the key figures of the club in its young history it it, it says something like they let him get away with a lot of this stuff and also just not being at the end of it and then having players corroborate this story it kind of sends it kind of just sends this weird message of like okay we'll we'll let you go with We'll, we'll let this go. It's not as serious, but now that it's out there in the open and it's been corroborated by several players and now they've got, you've got media attention out of it. Now they want to do damage control. And this is something they should have nipped in the bud beforehand before, uh, before the story came, uh, became public. And also, I think we talked about this a little about, we talked this a little before we started recording the podcast. It's just scummy behavior. It's scummy behavior, and it's something you shouldn't do as a professional at all. Yeah, especially someone like Davia, who has two kids of his own, is married, I believe still. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's yeah, it's scummy behavior. It's unprofessional. We'll get into the DC tie in a sec, but just to get back, like the article does say that, in Skyler admits to this uh that new york cfc basically offered her some money for you know what happened and as part before they started the investigation and she said there was a non-disparage agreement and she said how could she take that seriously you know something bad happened to her and she needs you know she feels alone in this and new york city response was here's some hush money like that's how she took it and yeah i agree that they should have done something to nip it in the bud before they did do the investigation they didn't name via 
I'm curious to find out you're saying more than one player, huh? Who was the other players then? <laughs> and it's I, also fascinating that it seemed like based on the timeline given in the story, everything turned its head when there was a coaching change. Um, you know, they correct me if I'm wrong. They, they had Patrick Vieira start the year and then mid, not even midway through the year, it was like a third way through the year. He was, he, he left. And so it, it was, it was one of those deals. And according to Skyler, the, the accused here, the, you know, Patrick Vieira always protected her, essentially. It was like, hey, how are you doing? Is the work environment okay? Are the players treating you right? That everything changed as soon as he left. So it tells me that New York City FC, if there's not a stable person in charge, it's a bit of a dysfunctional organization in a weird way. Yeah, that, that's something that shouldn't be happening in any sports in any sports franchise. There, there should be, you know, a level of conduct on how to conduct yourself, or uh, around around uh, female employ around female employees or any employee. As a matter of fact, this is something that shouldn't be stated. But unfortunately, we we gotta make so we gotta we gotta state it because apparently some people don't know how to keep their hand. Don't know how to keep them their their bodies to themselves, but I don't know if I'm state if I'm making myself clear, but it, it's something that shouldn't happen. But unfortunately, time and time again, when this kind of stuff happens, it just makes you shake your head a little bit. And I work in news, so I hear this stuff all the time. But like you hear Mario, he's more in sports. I kind of agree with this logic. I forget who the reporter is who said this. I want to say it was Bamani Jones. Sports people are ill-equipped to have these kind of conversations. <laughs> and, and it's not Mario's fault. He's trying here. But it's just like these are topics you don't deal with on a daily basis, especially when you're covering games, transactions, injuries, and things of that nature. And you don't expect sexual assault allegations. I don't blame you for that. And I don't blame anyone. Speaking of, I don't blame the fans who are currently picking sides picking uh, the accuser side as well as supporting David Villa. We have some accusing uh, Badillo uh, of doing this for money, which we just said she said no to a uh, hush money payment from New York City FC ownership. Uh, some are even jumping to conclusions saying or just supporting Villa saying let him tell his side of the story. Now, reps of Via did tell The Athletic that he did cooperate with their invest New York City FC's investigation, but denies all allegations. This is where it got fun. So DC in DC United land, Julian Gressel, who used to play for Atlanta United, uh, sent out a tweet when the story came out saying, quote, I had a David Villa jersey hanging in my basement for one of the times I played against him. They did a jersey exchange. Took it down immediately after reading the story. Absolutely shocking and unacceptable. He quickly received a response from fellow defender, DC United vice captain, and former WVA teammate Frederick Briant, stating, quote, don't judge him too quickly. You only have one version of the facts. Unquote. Briant then proceeded to retweet and like tweets supporting his viewpoint. Mario... <laughs> Frederick Briand has yet to delete said tweets, and we are speaking on a Monday. Uh, we're giving the time because we are recording early. Monday, November 23rd. So what are your thoughts on this weird interaction and Frederick Briand's response to everything? Did you did you lose did you lose your mind this morning or or am I or am I or am I tripping? Because I never thought during the offseason I would say the magic words. Frederick Brion is on Twitter absolutely wilding right now, but here we are. Yeah, terrible timing with the words. You could contact Julian Gressel. I believe you have his phone number because you guys are teammates. And yeah, it's just a bad look all around. Like you, I understand, you know, you were his former teammate in New York City FC. Maybe he's one of your favorite players. But nah, man, you got the one again. Sexual harassment is one of those things that you don't take lightly. And for you to absolutely go 
above and beyond to try to essentially in a weird shady way try to bash your teammate on social media saying you don't know this other side of the story you're not doing yourself any favors and on top of that you to get bad look for dc united because you're the vice captain you're the vice captain what are you doing what are you doing to quote taylor twelman <sighs> Let me just say, I'm fine with players expressing themselves. All right, I got that out the way. We're good. Frederick Briant, what are you doing? I feel like Frederick Briant didn't read the story, number one. And number two, I feel that Frederick Briant is doing a lot of this because that's his teammate, his former teammate when he was in New York City FC. And he probably knows him personally and probably has a relationship. Like I said earlier, Mia was a very personal guy easy to talk to um, until apparently the last month, uh, year uh, he stopped hanging around his teammates according to this athletic piece. Um, I'm just fascinated by the whole deal because DC United's a bit of a, one of those more, this is again, transparency here. I am a still, I guess, question mark. <laughs> employee at DC United uh, guest services, but I do know a lot of like the staff who currently and used to work there. In the past five, seven years, DC United has really tried to, you know, bring uh, women and people of color into the front office, bring people in to pr- provide newer ideas. And we're talking sales side, customer service side, and team side. Um, that's why when we hear about these rumors about Jill Ellis, you know, I could believe it because of what I see going on in the front office. So for Frederick Briant to say these things, if the front office is going to have to have a conversation with him, I just feel that way just because of the example they have set and the precedent they have set to make women acceptable in their work environment. And say, hey, look, we understand you're probably just supporting your boy, but this could be kept in house, number one. And number two, did you read the story? Because I feel like when you read the story, because I also had like questions about thoughts about translation being confused, thoughts of, you know, different culture, and then thoughts of, you know, uh, hey, you know, he's just messing around or whatever. He's just playing jokes. And then reading her reactions, seeing that players cooperated the stories and that there was a picture involved. I was just blown out of my mind. <laughs> so, like, many people, even supporters of the VBA, you got to look at that and just be like, wow, I, I have to second guess my thought process here i can't just take and, this and also the photo in question you you could just tell skylar badillo's di- complete utter discomfort in her so face. here's for those who haven't read the story and i understand it's behind a paywall it comes with a photo where she was sitting on a counter wv a purpose like according to her sat on the counter and purposely first try to put his hand on her leg and try to sit next to him, her. Uh, try to scoot over multiple times, and she can And an intern tried to speak to Davivia, and he shushed her away, saying, "I don't want you near me." And the accuser said, "Well, I don't want you near me." And he just scoot over closer, and that's when the photo was taken, allegedly. And it was passed around the locker room essentially between the interns for I guess front office staff and a couple of players with a heart around them and you could just see her with her hands between her leg like her hands around her legs with a face with like a scringing grin and not really accepting the situation it's it's cringy and WV is smiling through the whole thing which is unsettling is the best way to explain it for me at least oh it's just creepy <laughs> I'm, I'm making zero qualms about that photo it was <laughs> creepy that that was he he was demonstrating creep behavior there like that 
yeah, that was that was creepy, man. Yeah, that, that's the that's the best way to describe that photo. She looks so uncomfortable. She's like, "Sir, what are you doing? Have you heard?" And she, her face is like, "Have you not heard of a wonderful concept called personal space?" Agreed. Agreed. Should DC United do anything outside of just having a chat with Brian? I feel like a chat is suffice, but. I mean, what do you think, Mario? Should they just immediately let him go and say, well, we got Donovan Pines anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they should immediately let him go, but I don't think they're going to let I don't think they're going to let him ride without a without some form of consequence. Yeah, I think there's going to be a conversation. There, there's going to be some consequences there. How how severe are the consequences? Honestly, that's up to the club to decide, but I don't think the the consequences are going to be severe. Maybe the most severe consequence would be, yo, you're not a starter anymore. Maybe strip him out of the vice captaincy. But again, that is up to DC United to decide in, in that. But yeah, I think a conversation with him so would just suffice. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. I, I think in the long picture, like in the in the grand scheme of things, in the long term. Some of your co- some of your teammates are going to look at you differently. That's for sure. So get ready for that one. Yeah, you have pl- players speaking out on certain topics, and it's just not fair that they can speak out about certain topics, but when another player speaks out of a possible sexual assault, here you are, fight clapping back. It's going to make your teammates wonder what are your true beliefs and. You don't want any discontent in the locker room, I do think. And before, and this is before we even get a permanent head coach. So, <laughs> I would, I, I think it'd be, it would behoove DC United to respond, uh, and just you know have a conversation with them. I don't think it needs to go outside of that. Um, like I said, United has done a lot of building. Like I could tell you, back when I was just even started myself as a volunteer there was one woman in charge of something, and that was the woman in charge of the volunteer program. Now you go through and you see a lot of people in charge of different parts of the building, and or even in the past five years, like there were times where you would look at DC United's roster of staff and be like, wow, there's a lot of women here. And that's because at the end of the day, you want to get the best people. And that's what I think at the end of the day, we'll never know how good Skyro could have been as a full-time employee or even as an intern how good she would have been if she wasn't dealing with this uncomfortable feeling that she felt she had and I think that that's the at the end of the day you lose out on a good person a quality person that could have been at your club because of something you could have handled and no one handled it well not the internship coordinators not I mean via no one handled this well. In the end of the day, you possibly ruined someone's life, and that's not a good feeling. Nope, not at all. And that also, that has consequences too. What kind of consequences? We're gonna wait. We're gonna wait and see. Uh, to close out this ap- edition of the podcast, we wanted to take time to just pay our respects to Diego Maradona. He is the Argentine great who who transcended the sport. It helped Argentina win the World Cup in 1986, known for his legendary talent and skill. Also known for scoring the Hand of God goal in that World Cup, but also scoring what is still being considered as the greatest goal in world soccer to date. Uh, Maradona died at the age of 60 earlier this morning. He was he had a heart attack in his home in Buenos Aires. He was uh, hospitalized earlier this month to get a procedure done for a hematoma in his brain and was released following the procedure two weeks ago. He is regarded as one of the best players in his of all time, receiving several accolades. He is he capped over 90 times for the Argentine national team. And as stated earlier, he won the World Cup in 1986 and he's played in four World Cups. For the Argentine national team, he's had he had an interesting club career where he played in Spain, Italy, and in Argentina, playing for Boca Juniors, having a brief spell with Barcelona before he made his real name in the club scene 
with Italian side Napoli, where he helped them win the UEFA Cup, as well as several Italian league titles. Post-retirement, he did become a head coach for the Argentine national team and for several clubs in Argentina, Mexico, and the United Arab Emirates. He he coached the Argentine side back in the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, where they reached the quarterfinals before being eliminated by Germany. Um, Mario, before, you know, I feel like we post, I just said all his accolades, but, you know, to close out today's show, you know, what are your thoughts on the passing of one of soccer's greats, uh, Diego Maradona? Uh, uh, shocking would be an understatement. All uh, this, he, like you said, he transcended the sport and everybody talks about it. Even he, he influenced a whole generation of players. And I was talking about this earlier with someone like they, they said, he said straight up, I wanted to be a soccer player because of Diego Maradona, Diego Maradona. And he's someone that not only transcended the sport, he was someone that held great influence within the, within the game. Me and you have never watched him play a a game. We have the highlights and what our fathers tell us. Just the sheer talent that this man had, the charisma that Diego Maradona exuded, is something that can't really be replicated. And he goes into mythical status, especially in a country like Argentina, which is a, as everybody knows, it's a soccer mad nation. They considered him a god down there. He was revered. And one pundit said it best. He was bigger than football. Uh, just just to, to quote to quote to quote the pundit, he was bigger than soccer. He transcended. He was someone that pretty much put his name on the map, and unfortunately, he will be sorely missed because because of the just the sheer enormity and just the sheer impact that Diego Maradona had. And not and everybody and not just for players that are playing currently or in past, just for anyone who's been a fan of the sport. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously everyone's going to talk about his past addictions. You know, he's known for having a well-publicized battle with substance and alcohol abuse. You know, in 1994, during the World Cup, he was uh, removed from the tournament because after testing positive for a steroid. Um, he's been hospitalized numerous times for his alcohol and substance abuse issues. Uh, there was a tournament, I want to say it was a World Cup recently, where he just looked, <laughs> he looked high. <laughs> and he looked, he looked out of sorts. But one thing that, you know, everyone has their demons and they battle them differently. But that shouldn't diminish what the man has done in terms of his career, his legacy for people around the world, especially Argentina. Argentina sees him as a god. To put it in perspective, Leo Messi, who's seen now, is the best player in the world uh, when delivering a statement about Maradona's passing. He said, for us, he leaves the world, but he stays within us because Diego's internal. And that signifies everything about him. He's larger-than-life personality. Uh, When we were discussing before the podcast, I compared him to prince because not because the talent is there people don't see the talent but then you see them perform and it's it's magical you don't expect it because the book is not you're judging the book by its cover but you shouldn't and diego maradona is one of those things why you see a little chubby guy less than five foot five and he's out there just out dribbling out pacing everyone you know the hand of God goal, yes, it's remembered in time. Maradona admitted to it like years later. But the goal that everyone remembers is the second goal. The goal where he starts from midfield and runs all the way through, out dribbling the entire English team before scoring in the Stadio Azteca. It, that goal will forever live in infamy. There are players that have attempted to try something similar. Leo Messi scored one that was similar to even the the wear in the field he played started it and but Maradona is the originator he is that guy that that the 
the daring darling that he was to the way he moved with the ball, the way he possessed it, but the way he commanded your attention, whether it's the way he looked, the way he acted on the field, or just his general persona. He was a character, but he knew how to get your attention in a positive and negative way, whether it's his political beliefs or whether it's just his grandiose smile. The man was a legend, and the, the sports world lost a very important person today. Indeed. I think one of the... Man, my dad, I, I think this is more personal for me. Uh, my dad tells me a lot about watching Maradona growing up because they're around the same age, weirdly enough. Uh, but yeah, he he, ta- he talks about like there's things that you think Maradona made things look easy on the field that nobody else could replicate. Also, it's just the man was charismatic. That That's what he was. He brought this like, ex- he brought this big personality just exuded charisma out of his pores and i think that's what mo- most people are gonna miss it's just gonna be the the charisma they're gonna remember the plays they're gonna remember the goal in 1986 they're gonna remember everything he's done for 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 his career throughout his career he's gonna be not just remembered as a godlike figure in argentina he's also gonna be regarded as a godlike of Naples in Italy where Napoli are based in because of everything he was able to win with them in a seven year span he made them relevant and I think for that most people would most people in these two places in particular are going to be forever eternally grateful to Diego Armando Maradona well that's enough from us I think you said it well there uh, cap it off not just this Diego Mando. Maradona's section, but also just our show. I think that's the best way to end it. So, uh, before we go, uh, Mario, tell the people where they can find more about you. All right. If you ever want to find out what I'm going to be eating for Thanksgiving, you just want to read my stories or ever in the mood to laughing at a dad joke, you can follow me on Twitter at Mario Amaya One. You can follow El Tiempo Latino on Twitter as well at El Tiempo Latino. You can find him on the internet. On your Google Chrome, Internet Explorer, whatever internet search engine you use, at eltiempolatino.com. And if you really, really, really need a physical newspaper, physical copy, now you can find them at your local metro station. As always, you can follow me as well at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more content. Uh, thank you, as always, for tuning into the Bad Hombres FC podcast. Special shout-out, as always, to Kevin McLeod and Impotech for the intro and outro music. Remember, rate and subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. This is the Bad Hombres FC podcast for me and Mario. We hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, and we hope to talk to you soon. Adios.